está ocurriendo en la Tierra, por el amor de Dios? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? A small magnet with those words on a church organ caught my eyes years ago when I was a boy. And the words written on it have stayed with me ever since. It wasn't just a humorous play on words, but it's a lingering question that should motivate all of us to expect great things from God while attempting great things for God. I'm your host, Phil, an ordinary guy living with his family in South Africa. And one of my heroes is Barnabas, an ordinary guy from Cyprus, the son of encouragement that he was called. My family and I love the work we do here in South Africa and to the people God led us to love and learn from. And my desire through this podcast is simply to encourage others laboring around the world reaching people I cannot reach with creative methods or unusual skills far different than mine, to simply reach out in a casual way through conversations, highlighting their efforts and lives to you who listen in so you might learn more about the work going on for God in so many different and unusual ways. It might be educational, entertaining, or even edgy, but it is all for the glory of God. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Let's find out the answer to that question with our guest today. My guest on this episode is a man whose longtime friendship and kindness shaped and influenced my university and varsity days in huge ways. Not only did we play football, the beautiful game, together, but he also gave me a better lens through which to see the world to see the needs of people around the globe, and then to use creativity as a means of gospel hope and change. This guy's skill as a musician and piano player, artist, radio and television veteran, producer and director, as well as father and loving husband, all make him a perfect fit for this podcast. Hovig, welcome to What on Earth is Going on for Heaven's Sake. Thank you, Phil. Nice to talk with you again after so many years and be on this program. You're an ethnic Armenian, growing up in Lebanon. You immigrated early to the Greek side of Cyprus. You studied in the U.S. and then worked and traveled quite a lot before marrying a girl from Sweden. I would say you've had quite an interesting life, and, and particularly your early years, as I recall, were very challenging and hard. And what was it like growing up as you did, and how did it get you to where you are today? I'm quite a, a mixed character in many ways. Um, yeah, I'm Armenian uh, in my ethnic background, but my parents uh, were born in Lebanon because my grandparents were part of the generation that were forced to leave Armenia during the beginning of the 20th century, uh, what uh, happened there, the Turkic genocide of Armenians. So they settled in Lebanon like many others, but we kept our language and uh, our identity, and it's still quite important for us uh, as a nation. But I grew up in Lebanon, and uh, when I was uh, only four years old, the, the civil war started in Lebanon, which was for about 16 years, very challenging time. Uh, so I have very uh, interesting and sometimes dramatic and scary stories of growing up during the, the war in Lebanon. And it was... Uh, basically living day by day and trying to be, trying to have hope for the next day. Um, and that shaped a lot of how I viewed life as far as, you know, being grateful for life and trusting God to, to protect. Um, having said that, the scars of the war stay with you. I mean, it's, um, I still deal with, uh, 
emotional and mental challenges because of growing up in war. So um, I wouldn't wish anyone to grow up in war, um, but you also learn lessons in, in life and what to appreciate and, and, uh, and so on. So that's, that's my childhood days in Lebanon before we moved to Cyprus, uh, where things were much, much calmer and peaceful. Particularly once you once you came to Cyprus, I would imagine it represented quite a safe haven of sorts and a, a chance to kind of reset yeah. and, and look for that a little bit more normal life that you had missed. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. I mean, I, I, we used to come to Cyprus uh, even during summer holidays or whenever uh, the fighting got really bad. My dad would try to get us to Cyprus for our safety. Yeah, and Cyprus always represented somewhere that we want to be forever because it was safe. And uh, and eventually, my parents is well, they were involved in ministry, and then they decided it was it was the right time to move to Cyprus. That's when I was eighteen. Yeah, so Cyprus feels as much home as anywhere would feel for an Armenian because we sort of don't feel at home exactly anywhere <laughs> uh, because of our background and history. This is where home is for now, and uh, I married uh, a lady from Sweden, a beautiful lady called Anna, and we have made our home here. How did you find music and then ultimately media? I'm just going to use that term because it's quite a general one, but um, yeah. were your parents musical? Did they encourage you in music? Did you just show an early gift, and, and how did you kind of see God's hand in tracing out your life journey? Yeah, music is very much part of uh, my uh, family, uh, my aunt especially, and uh, on both sides of the family. So I grew up with music quite a lot. Um, and a lot of the music, uh, in my early days, of course, at church. And uh, I was involved in that. I was encouraged to be involved. Um, so uh, playing the piano and, and you know, working with choirs and things like that. Even it was during wartime in Lebanon, we still, you know, life, life still continues. So... We did try to do quite a bit of uh, music in church, uh, and that shaped a lot of my musical background. On the media side, uh, I always enjoyed productions. I think, Philip, you'll remember that from our university days, too. We, we enjoyed doing plays and dramas, and any kind, of, any kind of production gives me a buzz. You know, it's like creative side and preparing something and somehow uh, interacting with, with the audience and getting them to to laugh with you or to or to cry with what you doing. I mean it's just it's very powerful so I, I loved it I loved it from a young age so I think the combination of music and media uh, is is in a sense what gets me excited and uh, I still do I mean I still whatever I'm doing uh, you know whether it's a small production or some kind of a music number or something it still gets my my uh, my cells vibrating and excited. <laughs> And now you're you're speaking my heart language because as a fellow musician, yeah. you know it's it's the thing that we we know just is a passion of ours and um, we've mm. been given gifts to use for His glory in, in in sharing that gift with others and you know I knew you uh, back years ago uh, when you were training formally to be in the broadcast mm. and engineering side of things mm. and you'd already had experience with radio shows and and working with recorded and televised events. Um, in your career, what were some of the ways that you've even been able to use those skills, uh, particularly in practice? Sure. I mean, when I finished university and came back to Cyprus, I um, joined a radio um, company, a ministry. And for many years, I was working uh, in that. Uh, and we we were producing radio programs in the Arabic language and broadcasting it uh, into the Arab world. Now, a lot has changed in the media, on, on the media front, as far as platforms. I mean, in those days, 
again, it seems so many years ago, Phil, but it's, uh, we were still using shortwave radio as one of the only ways to broadcast into some regions. And then it's it medium wave opportunities and FM and, and, and then, you know, these days it's online and, uh, well, podcasts like you're doing and all kinds of other opportunities. So, but when I, when I started, uh, in the mission work, there were there were not many other ways to communicate, you know, the gospel to certain parts of the Arab world. Um, so we we did a lot of production work in those days, and so my my background training uh, was very important, both in on the technical front because in the early years I was working as a sound engineer and produced both recording and editing and so on. But later on, I was managing projects and taking on more leadership. Uh, things which which were also shaped from our university days in in different you know opportunities we had to to serve on as leadership team members and so on so yeah you need you need to sort of be ready to to do whatever uh skills you have use those so that uh, you can uh, you know share the the things that are on your heart with other people so those were interesting years um uh challenging and sometimes um, not uh, very easy but uh, it's uh, looking back i'm you know i'm i'm grateful for um, the opportunities we had to to basically just you know tell people about god's love and to encourage those who were going through a very difficult situation in those countries to look to comfort in the gospel in the words of jesus and uh, and faith in him so yeah, a lot, a lot of hours, a lot of programs. I know that lives were reached and touched, so I'm grateful for that. And you know, I remember even in our university days, hanging an aerial out the window and using that same shortwave battery-powered radio, mm-hmm. you know, wireless, mm-hmm. there in our in our dorm windows to pick up football matches from the BBC. Yeah, and, right, yeah. You know, and and amazing to think now that our devices in our pockets. Are are just yeah. a magnitude more powerful in their capability and their stretch, and yeah. you know here we are. We can stream yeah. those things as we're walking around the city streets, and it's just, yeah. you know, that particular industry I'm sure has has had such a massive uh, evolution from where you started. But but then from there, how did you get into then writing these big original drama musicals? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember years ago seeing from a distance, um, because we've not had a lot of uh, face-to-face time in the intervening years, um, but I've seen, you know, using online resources, um, one of your productions, for instance, at a, at a Roman amphitheater on the sea mm-hmm. next to Cyprus yeah. that dates back, you know, thousands of years. And here yeah. is my college buddy uh, putting on a show. You know, what gave you the spark to, to see that as a, a platform to produce and direct, to write your original shows, you know, how did you get sure. to that point? I think it was a combination of things. One was I have a, one of my best friends, in whom you know, Daniel. Uh, we were in university together. We grew up together, and we always enjoyed doing production. So after we both came back to Cyprus, we sort of said, okay, we're doing our other work and so on. But in the evenings and weekends, you know, we're bachelor young men, so we have a lot of time, and we were missing the creative side of things. So we started. Uh, uh, registered a society, which was a performing arts society. And it was one of those things where it was like more of a spur of a moment thing. We just sat down and said, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's register a society. And, and I remember our parents were skeptical and uh, sort of making fun of us saying, why are you guys doing this? You know, you know. But, but it, really, it really grew. Sort of we found a niche that we weren't necessarily looking for. But in Cyprus, there seemed to be quite a lot of people who were looking for 
something where they could come together and and work together to produce beautiful productions. And this was a, a great platform. It was not a church thing. It was not something that, you know, was restricted to any group. It was just open. And uh, through it, over the years, I'm talking about like 20 years plus, uh, we've made incredible friends that are still ongoing. You know, um, uh, it's because when, when you work together in producing something, you have to become friends. I mean, if you're not friends, the production will fall <laughs> fall apart and you'll hate each other. So one of the things Daniel and I said from the beginning was that, you know, this is not going to be a paid thing. Everybody's volunteering. None of us were getting paid. And that we would, uh, nobody's going to be a superstar like having a special treatment. Everybody's the same. Whether you're a main star in the production or you're a stage crew member or whatever, you're sewing costumes. So it was. it's really been... Uh, a really uh, nice experience uh, to have this. And then, like you said, we, we were blessed to be producing uh, all kinds of well-known productions as well as our own original stuff. And uh, it, it had its challenges, uh, as you would know, Philip, when you uh, financially, we had to find sponsors. I mean, some of the productions we had were costing a lot of money, but we were able to, to do it. And, uh, it's looking back, I have in my in my house, I have all the posters over the years of all the productions. And when I look back at them, I say, how, how did we do this? Um, wow. But again, with, with, with good people and, you know, prayer and, you know, just enthusiasm, you, you actually can do more than you think um, and then, then share the enjoyment with each other. So, yeah, many, many memories. We were, ironically, we were, we were in the process of preparing a production last year, uh, but then the coronavirus and lockdown came, so we've had to cancel that one uh, in the middle of doing that. But it's still there. I'm living now in an overseas context um, in a different culture than my own, different language groups and so on. Cyprus obviously has always been over the, really over the centuries, um, a crossroads of cultures and, and civilizations and it draws people from a wide spectrum of, of demographics, of country backgrounds. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you find the, the culture there, the, the community, and even within the arts community, how did they respond to this? You know, this, these two guys beginning to put on these big shows, you know, asking for volunteers, not getting a, a, a red cent out of it. You know, what was the response mm -hmm. initially? And then how did you see it kind of expand from there? And then ultimately, did you ever find any pushback? You know, did you ever experience resistance um, to, to any of these things, uh, you know, particularly if there was a sense of maybe a faith-based component or a living mm -hmm. out of your own uh, a Christian conscience. Mm -hmm. Talk me through some of those things. No, no pushbacks. I'll answer the last question first. No pushbacks. I, I think uh, we, we, we found out that if you're credible and, uh, you know, you work hard and do something uh, that is good, then, then people uh, join in and I mean, there, there may be jealousies. I mean, there may be others who want to do it. I mean, that's, that's human nature. But in general, because we were able to do really well-known good productions, like, you know, Sound of Music, uh, The King and I, so we did a lot of the, the, the classics also. So later on, when, when we wrote our own musical on the, on the story of Queen Esther from the Bible, there was no issue at all that we were doing something, uh, a biblical story, because, you know, we sort of had shown and proved that, you know, we were we, we were doing good production. So people, both audience and, and cast and so on, were very excited to do a story and come to, you know, find out the story of Esther from the Bible and so on. So I think that was, uh, it was, uh, it was very natural and uh, it was not awkward 
as far as people accepting it as, as a, a work of art, something good, and the lessons through it and the lyrics and everything uh, were very powerful, I, I believe. And it's still on YouTube, by the way, so people still watch it uh, all over the world. Um, so that was uh, that was nice. We actually did it twice. Uh, you mentioned the one we did in the amphitheater. Initially, we did it in 2001 in the normal theaters. And then it was our dream to do it at this amphitheater, which is very well known in Cyprus. Uh, and we got permission to do it there. And yeah, that was very, very special. As far as the community goes, uh, I mean, Cyprus is uh, it's a Greek community. Uh, and uh, uh, so uh, our, the niche we found, Philip, was more, I guess, the younger people uh, and those, because it's an international community as well. So everything we were doing was primarily in English, because that's sort of the language that is used almost all the time here. So we were not doing as much in as, as far as Greek music or, or Greek dramas and things. It was more of an international thing, English. The people on, on the island who, who were open to those kinds of things and loved those kinds of, uh, you know, productions, they, they were very keen and they are very keen to get involved, but not so much on the, on the traditional Greek side, uh, which is, which is not my, my expertise. I'm, I'm not, I'm not as uh, a Greek music person as much, but though I enjoy it. I've had the privilege, you know, I came to Cyprus twice and was able to sit actually in that Roman amphitheater. And, you know, one part of that view looks down into the, the gallery and the staging area. And then the other view, you're looking out into the Mediterranean Sea over the, the cliffs and hills. And, you know, to me, that's one of the main mental images I'll always have when I think about your shows, um, that, that there was such an immense historicity there. There was such an immense uh, yeah. moment of, of accomplishment being able to to put on a modern production in a place that the Romans had built, you know, and nearby there yeah. are archaeological digs dig going back millennia. And, you know, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And, and then also on the production side, the recordings and the shows and, and even your earlier work there um, with Shortwave, mm -hmm. the, the permanence of those things now in our modern world with, you know, servers and the cloud mm -hmm. and YouTube yes, and other yes. ways, it's it's amazing how much further those things will carry, far uh, far much you know far longer than than our own bodies will last, um, for the sake mm -hmm. of the kingdom and the sake of the blessing and the benefit of others. You know, you're currently yeah. uh, employed now as a music teacher at a school called yeah. Heritage Private School. Yeah. Tell us about your responsibilities there and and what gives you great happiness and satisfaction working in that context. Sure. Uh, yeah, I never planned to be a, a teacher. I mean, I was. Radio media, that was my thing, um, music. It's interesting how things open and close and, uh, you know, the financial crisis 2008 affected us all, all the way here in Cyprus quite a bit too. So there was what I was doing then stopped. I had to look for uh, something else. So I started my own company and I was doing that for a while. And then this teaching opportunity opened up at the school. Initially I was, I said no, but then actually my wise wife said, well, why not? So I said, okay. And it's, it's the last seven years, it's really been wonderful. I have to say it's probably uh, the most fulfilled and happy I am in what I'm doing right now. And that's strange because I've, you know, like you said, I've done so many things that have been so rewarding and nice. But uh, I'm really enjoying um, just being with young students and sharing with them and seeing them develop and grow and being an encouragement for them. There's there's so much, well, especially this year, but in general, there's so much stress and pressure and 
expectations um, and negativity in, in lives, in young lives. And I'm every day finding many opportunities to, to just, uh, you know, be a source of God's love to these kids and colleagues, hopefully, and enjoying teaching. And it's like satisfying, fulfilling, uh, humbling uh, in many ways. And it's fun too, uh, even though it's a lot of work. So I'm teaching music um, primarily for the primary students uh, and also involves quite a lot in different uh, choirs at the school and productions even at the school itself, uh, which uh, are quite big also. So doing what I really love, and in a different setting completely, but but enjoying it very much. And you're a multi-instrumentalist as well, and you've had to wear a number of hats, I'm assuming, um, there, even the private school context. The the platform of learning there, I, I'm assuming, is conducted in English. Is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. And, I'm, yeah, we, we do different instruments. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I've had to take us some one or two older instruments. I used to play in the oldest, like the trombone, and uh, refresh <laughs> my skills on it so I could uh, teach the students also. Um, yeah, but it's uh, there's a, a number of colleagues there who all play different instruments, so we have a nice pool of music teachers. So it's uh, it's very exciting. It's nice. How do you see, particularly generationally, the, the learners um, and how they've changed wanting to learn music or wanting to be in a choir especially when they're competing a lot with, with after-school sports, obviously technology, yeah, internet yeah. access. You know, how, how have you found that challenge really to, to keep them keen and loving music as a passion? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big challenge. It's, uh, it's concerning uh, also because kids do so much these days, uh, and it's uh, not necessarily doing things that are the best for them, though. Um, and uh, we we try we try to expose them to uh, to good music for them to get excited about it to enjoy it and hopefully that opens um, in their mind you know the, the the desire to to learn themselves to play an instrument but it is challenging I mean I, I tell especially the boys who are very keen on sports and. and you know, football is very big here, and they all join clubs from a young age and are you know, training so many times a week. And I say, I mean, I, I play football, Philip, as you remember, and I still play. And I tell them, okay, you know, I love sports. I played sports all my life. I still play, but I also love music. So you can do both. You don't have to say, oh, you know, uh, yeah, that's right. music or yep. uh, the arts are for, for, for girls only and, and uh, the boys are So that's, that's my regular sermon <laughs> to these students. Um and we're exposing them. I mean, I mean, this week, for example, I was, we were, you know, listening to Chopin and uh, learning about him and listening. And and if when when these kids have an opportunity to listen to their actual uh, pieces, uh, they love it. They really enjoy it and say, "Wow, I didn't know that was so beautiful." I'm going to put this on my playlist, you know, on my iPad and so on. Uh, and it just it's just exposure and and somehow uh, getting them to understand that not everything they have now is is really that good or the best. Um, there are many other things that they still should be open to to listen, to learn, and then choose what is best for them. So, uh, yeah, that's an ongoing challenge. They have so much information now in the sense they don't need teachers, but they need people to sort of come alongside and guide them and more like show, learning principles of how to live and to make judgments about things. Teaching itself is <laughs> interesting and 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 changing a bit. One of my vivid memories uh, when I was visiting there in Cyprus as an 18-year-old 
um, green, naive, um, you know, world traveler and just having finished first year in university and, and staying um, with Daniel and his folks and, and your family mm -hmm. and really um, just having my eyes wide open. I remember distinctly um, viewing a show called Eurovision and it was mm -hmm. a fascinating mm -hmm. precursor to mm -hmm. a lot of the shows now, you know, the the you know so and so's got talent kind of shows or yeah. American Idol yeah, yeah. or European Idol or yeah. you know even here in our own country South African um, Idol has a similar kind of format you know how how yeah. has the world really gotten smaller musically since those kind of days you know now that we can just pull up at any time streaming you know via the internet uh, music yeah. of any color uh, culture or dance form or pull up art you know how have you seen that world get smaller for you we, we look forward as youngsters to that once a year big Eurovision thing as, you know, that became our playlist, if you like, on cassettes for, for the year. Uh, but now it's so much. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, kids have so much now. They, they have access to everything. And, but like I said, not necessarily good things. Um, just a lot of junk out there too. Um, and yeah, I, try to challenge everyone from students to my own son, you know, as to you know what, what kinds of things really are good for you, what is really wholesome, uh, and be a bit more critical about not just listening to something because all my friends are listening to it, but say, okay, is this really good stuff? Is this really, you know, the words there, is it, is it really something I would be comfortable saying or listening to if it was not a song? So, yeah, there's a, there's a big challenge. Uh, but like I said earlier, I think our job as teachers in a sense in music one is, is to expose them to quality material and more often than not when they when they hear when they see these things they 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 really like it and hopefully that's a better alternative to some of the things that they shouldn't be <laughs> into i've enjoyed seeing uh, for instance videos that you and anna have dropped uh, online of even your own son uh, showing early musical yeah. promise what are the sorts of things that he enjoys playing or performing or singing what does he do well, his, piano is his main thing, and um, I, we we learned quite early on that he uh, he was talented, uh, uh, especially on the piano, but musically in general. He has an amazing um, amazing sight reading ability, which I wish I had. Um, so he can uh, he's actually uh, working hard on the piano, uh, classical pieces, and so on. He has been involved in some competitions, and he has won the end of this month if Corona allows it. Uh, so it's nice to see his talent and, and growing in that. But we also do a lot of fun music together. Uh, he's uh, even started composing here and there, and uh, we put some of his stuff on YouTube uh, for the family and friends to see. Uh, but it's nice. It's, it's, it's special to, to share music with my son. Uh, and uh, I have to say that there are a few times where he actually um, tells me that I have played the wrong notes or uh, that this thing that I wrote doesn't sound as good and maybe I should change it. So that's quite humbling, Phil, when your own 10-year-old does that to you. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's a circle of life, I guess. <laughs> and your wife, Anna, brings another dimension, obviously, having uh, grown up in Sweden. Yeah. Um, and that brings even an, a whole other set of, of beauty and joy and entertainment. Yeah, there. yeah, she's wonderful. Uh, she uh, she's, loves being in Cyprus. Uh, she has her physical challenge. Anna has had uh, rheumatoid arthritis since she was 15. She, she suddenly uh, started experiencing severe pain when she was 15. And it's been a, a journey since then, so many years of uh, 
trying to find medication that helps her without the side effects being more severe than the illness. Um, so that's a journey of um, pain and patience that she takes daily with a smile, which is a, a big example for me uh, and people around her. Um, some days are harder than others, but uh, yeah, she's an angel. And uh, I'm very, very grateful to God you know, have brought her to my life. In fact, I tell some of the young people, I said, uh, days that I tend to feel weak in my faith and doubt God when I see my wife, I say, yeah, there must be a God. He brought her into my life. So <laughs> that's uh, yes. how I feel about it. Speaking of that, are you able to exercise your musical gifts um, in a faith-based setting? Is there an outlet there that you're able, as you grew up, obviously, yeah. with uh, your parents, that was something that was important to them, your own personal faith. Um, but is there a way that you now get to manifest that um, on a daily or weekly? A bit of that through to our church, uh, still here. It's an international church where uh, you know music is very much, uh, worship is very much part of it. I probably do a bit less than I used to do before, but there are youngsters who are coming along and uh, keen to play and get involved. But I, I still do that with my sister, especially. Yeah, and then sometimes in my songwriting, when uh, it's still, it, it may not be a song written for a church congregation, but I, I, I want to express things that uh, that sort of open people up to hope in, in in God and and the difference that our faith can make. So very much there, even though a lot of the productions we do at school and so on are, since has nothing to do with actual church music, as say, or but uh, that's my heart is in that, and I try to reflect that in in what I'm doing. This has been a wonderful interview, and I'm so grateful that you took time out to just chat to our listeners about the amazing journey, really, truly, that your life has been um, and the, the path that God has chosen to lead you through. And, and it's had its real highs, and it's had its massive lows, and through it all, he's faithful. I'm always asking my listeners, uh, particularly to things that our listeners might pray specifically for you uh, regarding whether it's your family or your uh, vocational life. Um, challenges in the in the culture, um, the, the the land that you live in, mm. that you call home. Um, what are some of the things that you might uh, be willing to share um, that we can pray for you in an ongoing way? Yeah, thank you, Phil. That's nice. I think I'm going to uh, make make it a bit different than maybe your normal guest and and ask for prayer for um, my countries in a sense. I'm saying countries, <laughs> not so much for Cyprus, even though Cyprus also has issues, but the country I grew up in, Lebanon. Some of your listeners will probably be aware that last month was a massive explosion in Beirut, in the capital of Lebanon, where a lot of people died and a good portion of the city was destroyed. Lebanon is just across the water from Cyprus, and we actually heard and felt the explosion all the way here. So I can only imagine how bad it was for people there. And I still have family members there uh, who are fine, but they were very, very scared. So the whole country of Lebanon is going through a very, very difficult time uh, in, in every sense, uh, political upheaval, uh, financial ruin, uh, not just from this explosion, but overall it's been going through a very difficult time. And people are very, very, very much in despair because uh, they can't see a solution. So that's, that's something on, on my heart and our hearts, that God would do a miracle of uh, bringing peace and bringing good leaders uh, and changing the hearts of people who are leading the country the long way. 
so that's that's for Lebanon, and then also my ethnic background, Armenia itself is going through a very challenging times these days. Again, it's in the news. Armenia and Azerbaijan are neighbors, and there's a, uh, an area which is uh, uh, the source of the conflict between the two countries, uh, which is disputed, and I won't get into the politics of it at all, but the thing that is very sad is that there's casualties in the hundreds uh, on both sides, uh, and the conflict is still continuing. They're not uh, stopping since the ceasefire was uh, announced a few days ago. So that's painful to see uh, young people fighting for their country and losing their lives. Yeah, so these these two uh, situations are uh, big situations. Humanly speaking, very, very hard to find solutions to. So that's why I would ask prayer that God will do supernatural to, to bring peace, healing, uh, and and uh, you know, restore uh, these countries. Just before I ask you to close in prayer in your heart language, is there any other concluding thoughts or comments, things that you'd love to, to pass along to our listeners or just to, to encourage or to speak about the things that you're doing and particularly with the theme of just on the what on earth are, are we doing or, or what is going on for heaven's sake? Is there any concluding thoughts you might have? There's many things I could probably say, but I think one thing that I'm learning slowly in my life is that we need to listen to people a bit more. We're often quite quick to give advice or or talk um, or 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 claim that we we know all the answers, and and uh, life life is much more complicated than that often. And I would say to make time to really listen to someone, to really sit down and, and not have an agenda, but just say, hey, tell me about yourself. How, how, how is it going? I mean, I try to do that with students at school, especially if I find someone by themselves, you know, not, not with others. And say, okay, don't just ask how are you, but ask more than that. Uh, and, and then just listen. And just listen. Uh, I think people are longing to be heard. Uh, and then open up about things that are challenging for them. And then, and then you know, so that's, that will be my, my sort of challenge these days to everyone. Um, let's listen. Let's be humble to listen and say, and then God prompts us to say something or, or leads us to help that person. Great. Uh, but let's be good listeners. I'll pray in, in, my, in my heart language of uh, Armenian. Amen. <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas and even future interview subjects about this podcast. If you want to reach out or reach out to those that you heard today, drop me a note at phil.golson at gmail.com. We have a U.S.-based nonprofit called Grace Garden Root Arts Communication and Education set up for donations of financial gifts or items like instruments, uniforms, or even computer equipment for our lab that's administered by Kristen. For more information on Grace, go to www.thewordgrace, followed by K-N-Y-S-N-A, 
www.grace.org. It's www.gracenisna.org. Also, if you want to read about our team here and the missions model that we use for church planting, discipleship, seminary training, redemptive relationship building through life skills, education, and counseling, go to www.nisnahope.org. That's K-N-Y-S-N-A, hope.org. And that's for more information. What on earth are you doing, for heaven's sake? We'll see you next time.